Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Prepare for Dharma talk. Good morning, everyone, or good evening, depending on your time zone. My name is Todd, and today I am bringing to you Resuming Big Mind and the Teachings of Huang Po. Uh, Wang Po was in the uh, was a Japanese Zen master in the ninth century, who uh, was in the same lineage was was the teacher of uh, Lin Chi, who went on to found the Rinzai school of Zen. And I was struck by his description of how to work with the mind in some of his short little questions and answers that uh, are, were written down from interactions with his students. And then I thought that might also be interesting to uh, pair with what Suzuki Roshi said about resuming big mind in one of his uh, written teachings that have been published in these books. I love this book. This is called Not Always So. It's a collection of uh, Suzuki Roshi's teachings. It's, it's well worn. <clears throat> and uh, my favorite thing about it is these are basically, these were not written by Suzuki Roshi. These were just transcribed talks that he did, you know either with some preparation or sometimes just extemporaneously. And one of my favorite parts is um, he said that the most important teaching in Zen is two words, not always so. That's the title of the book. <clears throat> So let's start with Huang Po. <clears throat> okay. Question What is the Buddha? Answer. Mind is Buddha, while the, while the cessation of conceptual thought is the way. Once you stop arousing concepts and thinking in terms of existence and non-existence, long and short, other and self, active and passive, and such like, you will find that your mind is intrinsically the Buddha. 
that the Buddha is intrinsically mind and that mind resembles a void. Therefore, it is written that the true Dharmakaya re resembles a void. Seek for naught besides this, else your search must end in sorrow. Though you perform the six paramitas for as many eons as there are grains of sand in the Ganges, adding also all the other sorts of activities for gaining enlightenment, you will still fall short of the goal. Why? Because these are karma-forming activities, and when the good karma they produce has been exhausted, you'll be born again into the ephemeral world. Therefore, it is also written that the Sambhogakaya is not a real Buddha, nor a real teacher of Dharma. Only come to know the nature of your own mind, in which there is no self and no other, and you will in fact be a Buddha. So if we can move past his references to kind of the historical teachings and depth in Zen, and summarize, he says that mind is Buddha, and the, sensa the sensation, sorry, cessation or stopping of conceptual thought is the way. Now moving to Suzuki Roshi in his talk on resuming big mind. <clears throat> and I believe this is a talk given in a session or a, a, a long intensive or concentrated practice period that the monks were participating in. Now he starts by saying, the purpose of session is to be completely one with our practice. We use two Chinese characters for session. Setsu means to treat something the way you treat a guest or the way a student treats his teacher. Another meaning of setsu is to control or arrange things in order. So setsu or often um, shortened to ses. And then shin, shin means mind or heart. So seshin means to have proper functioning of our mind. It is our five senses and our will or small monkey mind, which should be controlled. When we control our monkey mind, we resume our true big mind. When monkey mind is always taking over the activity of big mind, we naturally become a monkey. So monkey mind must have its boss, which is big mind. However, when we practice Zazen, it is not that big mind is actually controlling small mind, but simply that when small mind becomes calm, big mind starts its true activity. 
Most of the time in our everyday life, we're involved in the activity of small mind. That is why we should practice Zazen and be completely involved in resuming big mind. There we go. In Zazen, we do not try to stop our thinking or cut off hearing and seeing. If something appears in your mind, leave it. If you hear something, hear it and just accept it. Oh, that is all. No second activity should appear in your zazen. Sound is one activity. The second activity is, what is that sound? Is it a motor car or a garbage truck or something? If you hear a sound, that is all. You hear it. Don't make any judgment. Don't try to figure out what it is. Just open your eyes and hear something. Just open your eyes and see something. When you are sitting for a pretty long time, watching the same place on the wall, you may see various images. It looks like a river, or it looks like a dragon. Then you may think that you should not be thinking, but you see various things. Dwelling on images may be a good way to kill time, but it's not Sashin. <clears throat> in talking about things he says just leave them as they are that is how to free your true mind when you can do so in everyday life you will have soft mind you won't have many preconceived ideas and your bad habits and your way of thinking will not be overpowering You notice he says that your bad habits won't stop, or he doesn't say your bad habits will stop. He doesn't say that your thinking will stop. He's talking about this soft mind or this ready mind. That is how to free your true mind. Just leave things as they are. You won't have many preconceived ideas and the bad habits in your way of thinking will not be overpowering. They're still there, they're just not overpowering. You will have generous mind and big mind, and what you say will help others. If we have generous big mind, and if we have a strong spirit of practice, then there is no need to worry. Dogen emphasized the sparse, simple life. Without expecting anything, we just practice our way. So before something happens, it is not our way to think about it too much. In that way, we have complete calmness of our mind. 
Because you have something, you worry about losing it. But if you don't have anything, there's no need to worry. One night Dogen said, even if you think a teaching is complete and right, when someone tells you a better way, you should, un you should change your understanding. In this way, we improve our understanding of the teaching forever. Because you think it is right at that time, you follow the theory or the rules, but you also have some space in your mind to change the idea. That is soft mind. It is possible to change your ideas because you know what kind of monkey your thinking is. Sometimes you follow the monkey's suggestion, oh yeah, that's right. If we go in that direction, we may get some food. Okay, let's go. But when you see a better way to go, you may say, oh monkey, it may be better to go this way. If you stick to your greed or anger or some other emotion, if you stick to the thinking mind, your monkey mind, you cannot change. Your mind is not soft. So in our practice, we rely on something great and sit in that great space. The pain you have in your legs or some other difficulty is happening in that great space. As long as you do not lose that feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, as long as you do not lose the feeling that you are in the realm of Buddha nature, you can sit even though you have some difficulty. When you want to escape from your difficulty or when you try to improve your practice, you create another problem for yourself. But if you just exist there, then you can have a chance to appreciate your surroundings and you can accept yourself completely without changing anything. That is our practice. To exist in big mind is an act of faith, which is different from the usual faith of believing in a particular idea or being. It is to believe that something is supporting us and supporting all of our activities, including thinking mind and emotional feelings. All these things are supported by something big that has no form or color. It is impossible to know what it is, but something exists there, something that is neither material nor spiritual, something like that always exists. We exist in that space. That is the feeling of pure being. If you're brave enough to throw yourself into Zazen for seven days, a little bit of understanding will help your rigidity and your stubbornness. Almost all the problems you create because of your stubborn mind will vanish. That sounds pretty good. <clears throat> I wonder if he gives <clears throat> detailed instructions next. <clears throat> If you have even the smallest understanding of reality, your way of thinking will change completely, and the problems you create will not be problems anymore. But it is also true that as long as we live, we will have problems. So we don't practice Zazen to attain some big enlightenment that will change our whole being or solve all of our problems. That is not the right understanding. 
That may be what people call Zen, but true Zen is nothing like that. In Sashin, we concentrate on having the experience of true practice, forgetting all about any idea of gaining anything. We just sit here. If this room is too cold, we'll make it warm. And if your legs become painful, you can stretch them. And if, if it is too difficult, you can rest. But let's continue our practice for these seven days. Thank you very much. So Suzuki Roshi was talking about small mind, the activity of the monkey mind. And then how we sit, we resume big mind. We step away from monkey mind, although it's still there. We sit still and invite big mind, bringing our awareness of the larger universal activity, the big mind activity, which contains our monkey mind all the time. So there's this interplay between big mind and small mind. There's this common question about what to do with thinking. Should we stop it? Should we not? What good is it? Back to Huang Po. Question, if mind and the Buddha are intrinsically one, should we continue to practice the six paramitas and the other orthodox means of gaining enlightenment? It's very similar to Dogen's ongoing practice question. If mind and Buddha are intrinsically one, should we continue to practice? Working on means of gaining enlightenment? Answer. Enlightenment springs from mind, regardless of your practice of the six paramitas and the rest. All such practices are merely expedients for handling concrete matters when dealing with the problems of daily life. Even enlightenment, the absolute, reality, sudden attainment, the dharmakaya, and all the others down to the 10 stages of progress the four rewards of virtuous and wise living and the state of holiness and wisdom are, every one of them, mere concepts for helping us through samsara. So basically, he's, he's saying all the really important things, all those lists of things we've learned about, sudden attainment, dharmakaya, 10 stages of progress, all this, all these important things in our list. Every one of them are mere concepts for helping us through samsara. He's kind of pulling the rug out on what's traditionally important te teachings. They have nothing to do with the real Buddha mind. Since mind is the Buddha, 
the ideal way of attaining attainment is to cultivate that Buddha mind. Only avoid conceptual thoughts, which lead to becoming and cessation, to the afflictions of the sentient world and all the rest. Then you will have no need of methods of enlightenment and such like. Therefore, it is written, all the Buddha's teachings just had this single object to carry us beyond the stage of thought. Now, if I accomplish cessation of my thinking, what use to me the Dharma Buddha taught? From Gautama Buddha down through the whole line of patriarchs to Bodhidharma, none preached aught besides the one mind. None of them preached, I'll say it in a way we would normally say it, none of them preached anything besides the one mind, otherwise known as the sole vehicle of liberation. Hence, though you search throughout the whole universe, you will never find another vehicle. Nowhere has this teaching leaves or branches. Its one quality is eternal truth. Hence, it is a teaching hard to accept. When Bodhidharma came to China and reached the kingdom of Liang and Wei, only the venerable Master Ko gained a silent insight into our mind. As soon as it was explained to him, he understood that mind is the Buddha and that individual mind and body are nothing. This teaching is called the Great Way. The very nature of the Great Way is voidness of opposition. Bodhidharma firmly believed in being one with the real substance of the universe in this life. Mind and that substance do not differ one jot. That substance is mind. They cannot possibly be separated. It was for this revelation that he earned the title of patriarch of our sect. And therefore it is written, the moment of realizing the unity of mind and the substance which constitutes reality may truly be said to baffle description. Clear as mud. How does that strike you? Does anybody have any reactions or questions? Kim? We'll take Kim was first and then we'll go from there. The assumption I would make from your talk is that if we could do a, a kind of lobotomy, we'd want to get rid of small mind. And I, I don't see it exactly like that. It seems like that's that gives us the information to to work with in terms of the whole mind, but that it's more than just monkey mind, the small mind. You know, it's it's between the point of 
of uh, the mind is one of the senses where it just like gets some input and that first kind of way we, we connect with that information. So I, it seems like a necessary step, but I'm just wondering how you see that. That we wouldn't want to get rid of it. Yeah, uh, we don't want to get rid of small mind or monkey mind, although there's plenty of times that we want to get rid of it. But no, I don't think that they're implying that getting rid of small mind is a way to enlightenment. But yet, it's also clear that just um, letting monkey mind run, run loose and running, run the zoo is not the way either. Monica, you were going to say something. Oh, good. I just realized I hadn't raised my hand. I, I need to, well, first, thank you for your talk. Um, I need a cl some clarification on something that sounded really important near the end. And you were talking about Suzuki said, was it avoidance of opposition? Was that? Uh, yeah, that's a good line, isn't it? Yeah, but I couldn't tell if it was avoidance or something else, yeah. opposition. Yeah. It was avoidance. Let's see where it was. Oh, it was. Okay. Is the way or. Mm. I don't remember where we, where we stumbled upon that. Well, but you thought it was avoidance. Yeah, that was avoidance of opposition was the phrase. Yeah. I mean, if I could just, just live with those three words, avoidance of opposition to me means, you know, sort of, just this <laughs> present moment what's here just now um that would those words really jumped out uh, at me sorry sorry here we go it wasn't suzuki roshi it was in the Huang po book oh, po. he said the very nature of the great way is voidness of opposition oh okay avoiding but voidness as in emptiness of opposition okay oh okay and what is the name of the book that you're reading Wang Po out of. That's the. Uh, this is the Zen teachings of Wang Po, translated by John Blofeld. Let's Thank see. you. Where's the camera? There we go. It's a tiny book. So. Oh, that's how you spell Wang. Okay. Thank you so much. I think Anne wants to say something next. Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for um, cutting to the bones. I really appreciate it. But the question that came to my mind as you're talking, as Wang Po was talking about, its character is eternal truth. Its only character is eternal truth. And what a hard time I traditionally or habitually have to assertions of this is the truth. This is the eternal one truth. Though he didn't say one, he just said eternal truth. Um, and I was mixing that up with resuming big mind that one way that we're encouraged to 
cultivate big mind is Zazen. And Suzuki Roshi is talking about seven days, throwing yourself into Zazen for seven days. That, and, and my um, kind of take on that is then, then maybe you'll have some experience of big mind. Um, so how, what, what if in sitting Zazen, we get to a neurological state that everything feels one, like maybe a neurological state you could come to if you were sick or if you had some stroke or something changed in your brain. So the experience of big mind is a product of neurochemistry. And how can we say it's the eternal truth? Thank you. Short answer, you can't, right? Everything we just read is someone trying to use a medium, the medium of small mind to explain big mind. And it doesn't, it doesn't ever work logically. That's why we always come back around to the apparent paradoxes of Zen writing. And sometimes they use them on purpose to try and confuse the small mind, frustrate it, and invite you to break out of it. You know, I think the Buddha warned people against believing him and believing in his truth and the one truth said, be a lamp unto yourself. Try and find yourself what you feel is true or what you know in your bones is true. So it's interesting, you know, when we take these bits of sutra in as food for thought, right, as mental food, and they help, um, they help us build a framework for understanding the practice that we can tolerate because the kind of blazing physicality of Zen practice has a tendency to burn away all of the ideas about what it is and that's really tough to tolerate. So it's good to, to talk about these things and to turn them over and see what they, how they can help us continue our practice. Just don't get too stuck on what the one truth is and understanding it. Or when you're doing that, pay really close attention to how you feel and how it's going. What's one truth mind like? The grasping at one truth mind. 
Sorry I can't be more helpful. <laughs> but do the best you can. More helpful. Thank you. Joel? Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Todd, for this talk. I'm, I'm reminded of something I've been listening to online for the last week that um, just describes the, uh, it's about consciousness uh, and that it's situated in our bodies where in the, in the simplest explanation, we have thousands of sensory inputs at any given moment and thousands of brain synapses doing electrochemical changes at any given moment. And they're all competing with each other for attention. And I, I was just struck by the phrase that you used from Suzuki Roshi that we our, our, our monkey mind has an idea and we follow it and then it says that we have a, oh, here's a better idea, let's follow that. And you know, that there, that there is no better idea <laughs> or at least in that realm, they're all the same level of ideas, you know, for me anyway. Um, and um, you, you said you were hoping that Suzuki Roshi would provide some detailed instructions. I was hoping that you would also provide some detailed instructions at this point. Uh, but I, I would like to offer an experience that I had actually sitting in the Zendo not long ago, where my mind was just jumping and jumping and jumping from you know branch to branch like a monkey and 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 they all seem like better ideas that that were helping me focus more clearly on where i was and then just by chance i looked up and i realized oh i'm in a big room i'm in a big room that i'm sharing a visual space with other people and it's full of air and it's made of these things and and but but then gradually all the words that I was using to describe the space became a little bit less compelling. And I was able to just realize, oh, I'm in everything that is going on in my head is going on in a bigger space. And it's connected with everything. And that, you know, then my monkey mind took off and I was watching another, another movie in my head, but, but uh, does, does that seem like something that Wanpo might be talking about or pointing to or something like that? Yeah, in the Zen stories there, there's, you'll notice um, this kind of poetic tradition of tangling with the core conceptual issues that we're talking about big mind versus small mind life versus death and they'll often come back to um you know a heron in the moonlight or dew reflecting in a dewdrop right or a fish swimming like a fish they come back to something that's just concrete and happening something that's kind of divorced from our ideas about it. And they do that on purpose to point the way that <clears throat> the way isn't to once and for all understand the right concept. 
Dogen said, you know, and when Dogen was talking about the kind of the fundamental um, debate that Zen students like to have about oneness versus, you know, the one versus many, the myriad versus the one, the relative versus the absolute. And his famous line is that the Buddha way is leaping clear of the one and the many. It's not figuring it out. It's exiting that plane in which there is one and then there is many, and we have to figure out how they're separated and where they meet. The Buddha way is leaping clear. It's just the heron in the moonlight when that's what's in front of you. Thank you, Joel. Uh, Paul, next. Yes, good morning. Thank you, Todd. Um, the um, talk and the readings and the information, the instruction has been really nourishing for me, for my practice. And um, And I, and I want to say that what, what I understood, what I heard, what we've been talking about is all really good uh, nourishment conceptually. And then I understood the teaching to say, but that's not all of it. There's, and we've several, several of us commented so far, it's about, uh, it's about not the conceptual, but rather the real. And the real to me seems that it's about being or experiencing the real versus conceptualizing it, intellectualizing it. So to me, the teaching this morning helped me to, at least I think it did, helped me to get to the place of being, being closer to being, to experiencing real versus just conceptualizing. It started with the conceptualizing. Your instruction and the readings started with it. And then I get to the being or to the experiencing of real. And um, what I understood is it, it's, it, it's the big mind and it's connecting to the universe and yet I hear that it's void and immediately I don't like it. I want an answer. I need, I need to know more. What is this? It doesn't feel right. I, I'm, not ex, I'm not used to experiencing this void or being this void. So I think that uh, the instruction and the reading and the talk has been very helpful to me because that's where I, that's where it took me this morning. Thank you. You're welcome. Joan, I think Joan had her hand up. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of, uh, amplify on what others have said. Uh, this has been real meaningful uh, that I've gotten a much better awareness of the attainment that is uh, within 
a lot of sitting, a lot of my sitting, you know, don't uh, focus on this, uh, drop this away. You know, and, and what you said was that we sit to invite big mind. And that is dropping away attainment. It's, it's, it's not even talking about small mind and, and getting lost in thoughts. It's we just sit to invite big mind and it doesn't even um, explain what will happen. We don't even know what will happen and we may not even be able to put into words what happens when big, big mind comes. We just invite it. Mm -hmm. Now, how did Suzuki say at the beginning? He talks it out. Uh, the part I was remembering is <clears throat> he also takes an instrumentalist approach, which we often want the, to make it an instrument of attainment. So I think it's interesting that, like you said, he's talking about resuming big mind and letting things happen, but he's doing it in the context of control. Sashin means to have proper functioning of mind. It is our five senses and our will, or small monkey mind, which should be controlled. When we control our monkey mind, we resume our true big mind. When monkey mind is always taking, always taking over the activity of big mind, we naturally become a monkey. So monkey mind must have its boss which is big mind. However, <laughs> just when you think you've got it, he wants to make sure you don't latch on to it as actually it. However, when we practice Zazen, it is not that big mind is actually controlling small mind, but simply that when small mind becomes calm, big mind starts its true activity. Most of the time in our everyday life, we're involved in the activity of small mind. That is why we should practice Sazen and be completely involved in resuming big mind. Olivia. Good morning, thank you. <laughs> There was a couple of things. My small mind uh, visualized that, at least I think, I'm in big mind much more than I ever think I am. And I was thinking of the, par the example of if I'm going to the grocery store. I get in the car and the journey takes place and I'm concentrated on the journey. <laughs> Leaving and arriving. 
And there's just this space thinking about it in that entity that way. The other thing is in the Heart Sutra. No mind is part of, no eyes, no ears, no tongue, no body, no mind. So we've been talking about mind as it's an entity and mind is one of those concepts that you, I think that's the term you use. Mm -hmm. yeah. those, those were my two thoughts on that, that we are often much more present in big mind we're just not sitting in Zazen. I keep the noise, the external noise in my house. I don't put the television on until late in the early evening or something. And if I have silence, I am oftentimes in big mind. Thank you. I think we're about out of time. Any last question or comment? Thank you. Do we do service next or do we just do our final chance? Are we still doing service? Yes, I see Kim nodding. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Prepare for service. <clears throat> 